Thank you for downloading this sermon brought to you by the preaching ministry of Liberty Baptist Church of Las Vegas, Nevada, Dr. David Tice. For more sermons in both audio and video format, we encourage you to visit experienceliberty.com. Also, for a word of encouragement, insight, and biblical inspiration, follow Pastor David Tice's blog at davidtice.com. So without further ado, let's open our hearts to the Word of God. Man, if you believe that this morning, say, God is good. He is, and all the time, He's good, and all the time, God is good. If you have your Bibles, open them up to the book of Genesis today. And as you're opening them up, I hope you'll take your notes out. And in your notes this morning, I'm asking you to do me a favor, because tomorrow, or excuse me, next Sunday is a big day here at Liberty Baptist Church. We call it Harvest Fair Sunday, and in your notes, in your program, I'm going to ask you to do me a favor. I want you right now to take a moment, in fact, we're going to do it as an entire congregation, just say, Lord, who could I invite to Harvest Fair Sunday? All right, so I just want you to think about that, and then I'm going to give you an action step at the end of the service, but I want you to be thinking, Lord, who could I invite to Harvest Fair Sunday? Next Sunday, we are going to have great opportunity throughout the entire day to tell people about Jesus Christ. The entire focus of next Sunday's message will be clearly demonstrating the gospel of Jesus Christ, letting people know how they can have the assurance that heaven is their eternal home. And so I want you to bring somebody with you because we want to see people trust Christ as their Savior. That's the heart of this church, isn't it? That's what we want to do. We want to see people know Jesus as their Savior. And so I want you, just a moment, say, Lord, who do you want me to bring with me to church? And then I'll give you an action step on that. So let's just take, we're going to take 15 seconds. And in that 15 seconds, I want you to bow your head, close your eyes with me, and just say to the Lord, Lord, who do you want me to invite to Harvest Fair Sunday? Will you take that? 15 seconds begins now. Father, we do want to see you work, and we're here today because we want to show your faithfulness. So, Lord, I pray in the next uh, few minutes you'd encourage us that you are faithful, to take uh, uh, your straight path, not follow detours, and I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. At the end of the service in your program, you'll see that there is a QR code where it says Harvest Fair Sunday. I'll ask you, you can just hover over that with your smartphone, and we'll pull up a web page. And whoever God put on your heart as somebody to invite to services next week, I want you to send that webpage. It tells them all about the pony rides and the free pumpkins that we're giving away here next week. But I want to see us uh, have a harvest of souls next Sunday morning. Don't you? I think it's going to be a great day. Hey, if you got your Bibles in Genesis chapter 16 and verse number 1, the Bible says this. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, bear him no children. And she had a handmaid, an Egyptian, whose name was Hagar. We're going to look at one of the most sad stories, I think, in the Bible, because in this story, we see God's man and woman, this couple who have been ordained by God, called of God, to take this journey, to follow this calling, to, to pursue this adventure together. But they're going to take a detour. And today's lesson is all about detours. How do we avoid detours in our life? Because God's got plans for our lives. There's times when he says to us, it's time to stop, it's time to go. Sometimes he'll say it's, it's good to ask questions. Sometimes he'll tell us to merge our plans or our lives with other people. And sometimes he'll show us this is a dead end, don't go there. And then sometimes he'll say, walk, walk this way. This is your walk. 
And then he'll say sometimes, don't walk. This is not where you're supposed to go. But many times, even as we're going the plan or the path that God has for us, we experience these, these detours. I don't know about you, but I believe that God has a plan for my life. And I believe that God has a plan for your life. There's certain things you're supposed to accomplish. God put with inside of you a skill to do a certain job. And he's given you uh, a love and appreciation and care so that you can do the things that God's called you to do, okay? So with that plan and with that calling, it's so important that we stay on that path because if we take a wrong turn, it's only going to be a bad thing. Today's first point is road trips. How many of you like a road trip, a good road trip? How many of you say, the longest road trip I ever want to take is to Henderson? If I go past there, I'm like, <laughs> put me on an airplane. Okay. When Brianna and I first got married, we decided that we wanted to travel and that we would travel and see as much as we possibly can. So it's been a value. Part of our family thing is that we will travel. And since Ashland was just about a, um, a month and a half old, we took our first trip. When Ashlyn was six weeks old, we went to Disneyland. And uh, she doesn't remember it, but we do. And it was our first, it was one of our first trips together as a, uh, a family. And we decided we're just going to do this. Even though we had babies, there were cast members who were like, what, you, how old is she? She's about six weeks old. You brought a six-week-old here? Yes. You know, Cinderella's like, I wouldn't even leave the castle at six weeks old because it was just, a, she was so young, but we thought this is something we want to do. So we've traveled, we've driven, we've gone a number of different places. We put hundreds of thousands of miles on minivans. Here's a couple of the places we've gone. Of course, there's Disneyland. This is us as a family at Disneyland, but we've gone all over this country. This is a picture of a Texas sunset. Whereas we were driving one night, many times we will just drive, and we will drive hundreds and hundreds, sometimes even a thousand or so miles at a time. This is a picture of us. We drove to Chicago one time. And when we drove to Chicago, we took a picture beside the bean. I don't know what it means, but everyone else was, so we did it too. And we took a picture of the bean. And then, then this is a picture. We drove to Washington, D.C., and this is us inside of the White House. We were at the White House as uh, guests of the former administration. We haven't been invited back the last three years, but we're hoping that someday we get back in there. And so this is us. We drove. We went and drove to the White House. This is a Florida sunset. My daughters, our friends, own this house that's right on a bay there. And uh, we were watching the sunset as it went down in Florida. We These are all places that we've driven. Uh, we drove all the way to Maine. From here, we drove to Maine. Now, that Maine trip, that is not one for the faint of heart. If you're going to do Maine, you might want to build up a little bit. Go to St. George and maybe try Salt Lake City, but do, do one of those. This past summer, we went, we had never been to New York City. And people had told us, oh, you got to see this, got to see this. Well, we went to New York City. This is our family inside of Central Park. We drove into New York City. And I'll tell you, I've never been more scared in my entire life than driving into New York City. But I love a road trip. A road trip is great for me. In fact, when you have as many children as we do, you, you can't afford to go anyplace. You get on an airplane, by the time you get there, you're out of money. So we've just driven and driven and driven a whole lot of different places. We love road trips, okay? Well, I've noticed this, that sometimes in road trips, there's frustration, if you've ever been on a road trip, have you experienced frustration? Okay, if you've ever driven between here and Amarillo, that 12 hours of nothing, 
There's frustration. Are we there yet? No. Are we there yet? No. Are we there yet? No. We're not even to Kingman. It's just a long, long trip. There's a second thing that's common in road trips is that in road trips, there can be a lot of emotion. (laughs) Stop touching me. (laughs) Please don't touch me. Mom, they're touching me. Dad, they're touching me. I'm hungry. And there can be fatigue as well. When God calls Abram and Sarai on their journey, on their path, it's not a little quick trip. It's not jumping in a helicopter and being there in 15 minutes. It's not even getting in a a 747. The call of God on their life is something that is long. It's an entire life process. And yet, in this road trip that they're on, on this journey they're on, just like you or I might take a day to get someplace or might take a few hours to get someplace, between the call of God in Genesis chapter 12 to where we are in Genesis chapter 16, there has been over a decade expire. Ten years they have been on this journey trying to pursue God's plan for their life. Well, what was God's plan for their life? God's plan for their life, he said this, in you I'm going to build a great nation. Oh, your family is going to be as plenteous and bountiful as the stars of the heaven and as the sands of the sea. You're going to have so much that I'm going to bless this entire world through you. You're going to be a great nation. And out of you will all families of the earth be blessed. And that's exciting. And that's wonderful. And here's some people who are looking at what the AARP benefits are. Find God, God's telling them, You're going to have a family, and you're going to bless all these people, and your life is going to have profound generational impact that the entire world will know about. But that was 10 years ago. And in the last 10 years, they've experienced frustration, there's a lot of emotion, and there's fatigue. Can't you see it? In the last chapter, Abraham was experiencing it. In Genesis chapter 15, we saw how Abraham was experiencing those three emotions when it says, and Abraham said, behold, thou hast given me no seed. And lo, one born in my house is mine heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came unto him saying, this shall not be thine heir. You're not going to give to your servant everything that I promised you. But he that shall come forth out of thine own bowels shall be thine heir. You are going to have a son. It's not going to be an adopted son. It's not going to be somebody who's like a son. Somebody who comes from you will be the heir. In Genesis chapter 16, verse number 1, God and Abram had that conversation, but Sarai's feeling those same frustrations, that fatigue, that emotion. And in verse number 1, she says, I have no kids. She's 75 years old at this point. And the time of childbearing has been gone from her. She's not able to have children. Can I put it bluntly? She's postmenopausal. All of that is finished some time ago. And yet, she knows the call of God, and in the last chapter, God had told Abram that she's going to have She's going to have, he's going to have a child come from his own bowels. What is going on here? And so on this road trip, this frustration, this emotion, this fatigue has set in. 
And she starts to look around, and she starts to think, how's God going to get us where we're supposed to go? How is, how is this going to happen? And so she's about to take a detour. Now check this out. There's temptation in each of our lives to take detours. There's temptation. doesn't matter if you've been saved for 25 years or if you just came to know Christ in the last few weeks. By the way, wasn't it wonderful that three people followed the Lord in believer's baptism here this morning? Isn't it a wonderful thing to be part of a growing church where people are saved and baptized on a regular basis? And that's because you invite folks to services and we get to share with them Christ. What a wonderful thing it is. So if you've been saved for decades or just a few months, there is that opportunity to say, oh, I'm on this road trip. Let me try to figure this out. Now, I want to share with you four things, and this has just been a help. It's, this is free in the message today. The Bible says this in Genesis chapter 16, verse 2 and 3, and Abra Sarai says to Abram, Behold, now the Lord hath restrained me from bearing. I'm 75 years old. I'm not going to have a kid anytime soon. It's just the way it is. I pray thee, let me figure this out. Let's figure out how to get where God wants us to go. Go into my maid. And do you see the very adult nature of this? And forgive me, I don't want to be inappropriate, but just think about, think about what this entails. It's a, it's a Bible story, but this is real life with real human beings. Would you go into my maid? And it may be that she may obtain children by her that I may obtain children by her. And Abram hearkened unto the voice of Sarai. Okay, honey. And Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, her maid, the Egyptian, and Abram had dwelt 12, uh, 10 years in the land of Canaan and gave her to her husband, Abram, to be his wife. Wow. Now, there's so many things you could say here. And I don't mean to be light, and I don't want to be inappropriate, but how does that night go down? Like, what does that night look like? Good night, honey. Good night. All right. Uh, I love you. I love you. And then here's Hagar. Hagar's 16, 18, 20 years old, no doubt had desires for a family and love and relationship in her future, and now she's being given to an 85-year-old man? This is very messy. This is very, uh, and I'll even use the word, this is creepy and gross. And I want you to feel the weight of how disgusting it is because this is what happens when we take detours. It's one thing to be on a thousand-mile journey and have to take a detour through a place that takes a couple extra hours on your thing, but this is really messy, and this is really gross, and it's really disgusting. But this is the invention of man. By the way, these aren't wicked people either. These are good people. These are people who have God's call on their life, but they're about ready to take a big detour in order to try to get where God wants them to go. Remember this, it's never right to do wrong to do right. It's never right to do wrong to do right. Can I, this is an acronym that was a help to me, and I've helped many people, I think, with it. Why do people get triggered to go on detours? What triggers, folks? This is whenever you see yourself in one of these situations, red light, stop. It's this acronym, HALT. I make bad decisions in my life when, number one, I am hungry. Has anyone made a bad decision in their life when they are hungry? Never go to Albertsons when you're hungry. 
because you'll buy Red Baron pizzas and Haagen-Dazs and Double Stuff Oreos and things that you have no business eating at 11.30 at night. <laughs> so when you find yourself in one of these situations, just stop, stop. You're, about, you're vulnerable to make a really bad decision when you're hungry, when you're angry. What did they say? Halt, halt. You're hungry, okay? And you're angry. If you're angry, don't make a big decision. We're moving to Tennessee. Nope, nope, nope. Don't make a decision when you're hungry. Don't make a decision when you're angry. Don't make a decision when you're lonely. I'm lonely. Let me just get online for a few minutes. When you're tired. People make triggering, these triggers bring really bad detours in a person's life. And so when you find yourself hungry, alone, uh, hungry, angry, lonely, or tired, don't, just stop. I'm going to go tell them. I'm going to send this email. I'm going to write this resignation letter. I'm going to file for... When you're in that position, when you're hungry, angry, lonely, or tired, you're very vulnerable to go on a detour. And that's exactly where Sarah and Abram are. How do we avoid detours? I think it's important to recognize where detours come from. Because there are six common detours that we can absorb into our lives. And when we just say, oh, it's not that big of a deal, I'm just taking a side street. Some of you have taken shortcuts and they weren't shortcuts, haven't you? Have you ever looked at the 95 and thought, well, I'll just take service streets? Oh, that was a bad idea. Have you ever been told by the GPS, take this, and the GPS has been wrong? So there's a way to avoid detours, but it's always with the end in sight. How am I going to get where I'm supposed to get? And what is God's plan for my life? When I look at big picture, what is God's plan for my life? Let's look at what happens with the detour that Abram and Sarai take. In verse number four, he went in unto Hagar, and she conceived. Again, I don't want to be inappropriate or light about this, but what does that look like the next day at breakfast? Hey, Abram. Hello, Sarai. What are you talking about at that moment? Isn't this the... This is bad. Hungry, alone, angry, tired. All of these things bringing detours into their life. Now this servant girl maybe a late teenager, young 20s, is pregnant with Abram's child. And Sarai said unto Abram, my wrong be upon thee. What? Whose idea was this? It was Sarai's idea. But now she's saying, you really messed up big time here, bucko. My wrong be upon thee. I have given mine handmaid unto thy bosom, and when she saw that she had conceived, I was despised. Do you know that that little twerp is being snippy with me? But, I mean, you, you told us this is what you... Don't tell me. And now there's this great argument, so much so in verse number seven, verse number six, the Bible says, but Abram said unto Sarai, behold, thy maid is in thine hand. You do with her whatever you want. Do to her as it pleaseth thee, and Sarai dealt hardly with Hagar, with her, and she fled from her face. Oh, this looked like a really good idea for a few minutes, didn't it? 
and it has thousands of years of repercussions. Taking a detour. What are detours that you and I need to avoid? Number one, here's the first detour. I'm not good enough. Whew, that's a good one. Because it starts this whole mess here. The whole mess was that Sarai thinks, well, I'm not good enough. You know, the Bible teaches this. We are all in a common place. You're no better than I, and I'm no better than you. We're all sinners, aren't we? I thought I'd get a little bit more response from that. <laughs> if your spouse didn't respond, give him a little elbow or something there. We're all sinners, aren't we? Yeah, we're all sinners. So none of us are any better than each other. In fact, our sin is so bad that the Holy Son of God had to come to this earth and take nails in his hands and a crown of thorns on his head and get spit upon and get his back beaten because you and I are so bad. Our sin is so bad that we not only had to bring punishment to the Son of God, but if we did not have the punishment on the Son of God, that we would have died and gone to hell. That's how bad our sin is. But Jesus took our sin in his own body on a tree. Jesus died for our sins. And the Bible tells us that he was buried and he rose again. And if you're on your way to heaven, it's not because you're Baptist or you're in church today or you're a patriot or you try really hard. The reason you'd be on your way to heaven today is because there was a time in your life where you recognized, oh, I'm a sinner. And because of my sin, I deserve to go to hell. But Jesus died for me. And in the best way I know how, I ask Jesus to save me from my sins. And whosoever shall call... <coughs> excuse me, upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I receive Jesus as my Savior. He took my sin. I get his righteousness, and now I'm on my way to heaven, not because I'm good, Baptist, try hard, been baptized, but because Jesus paid for my sin, and I received his gift. Now, this is what's beautiful. When I receive Jesus Christ as my Savior, the Holy Spirit of God comes and lives inside of me. I have the comforter, but now I have a calling on my life. I'm no longer just a customer for NV Energy or an automobile company or some manufacturer of clothing. I have a purpose in my life. I am an ambassador for Jesus Christ. I represent God. Matthew Tice is the representative of God. And if you've trusted Christ as your Savior, you are too. I have no higher calling than you. We are, we are equally salt and light. And God's called you. And God's called you. And God's called you. You are the representative of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. You are nobility. You, are, you have a high calling. The Bible says you're a royal priesthood. Wow. And yet Satan comes in and he says, you're not good enough. And Sarai looks at her. 75-year-old, and excuse me for being, for saying this, postmenopausal body and says, there's no way we can do this. And I remind you of this, that the Bible says this, faithful is he that calleth you who also will do it. It was never about how great Abraham was or how wonderful Sarai was. It was always about the faithfulness of God. When the team sang a few minutes ago, great is your faithfulness. Oh, man, you are a rock star. That's fantastic. I was singing, but you're the real rock star. Give him a round of applause. 
Man, my voice was getting a little hoarse there. Thank you for that. Faith, it's, it's the Lord who is faithful. It is the Lord who is powerful. You are not good enough. I am not good enough. But God, check it out. For whatever reason, he called you. He wants you. He said, I want Matt. Why would you want Matt? I don't know. But he does. I want Jake. I want Ed. I want them. Why? I don't know. But he does. And it's not ever been about how good you are. It's always been about how great he is. But we get a detour. When we start to hear about God's call in our life and his vision and his plan and his purposes, and sometimes we're like, well, that's for somebody else. That's not for me. I'm not good enough. Okay, you're not good enough, but he is great. Number two, number two detour that we face is this. It's just once. It's just once. The scripture says this in Genesis 16 and verse 4. It appears, and I could be wrong about this, but it appears that this interlude between Hagar and Abraham is a one-night stand. Now, I could be wrong about that, but the Bible says, and he went into Hagar and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress was despised in her eyes. It was just once. What's the worst that could happen? The Bible says, for whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in how many points? One point. He is guilty of all. I could probably ask for testimonies of people that could say it was just once. It's just one drink. It's just one hit. It's just one Google search. It's just one time being with these friends. We stole just one time. We're going to do it this time and then never again. And how many behavior patterns and lives have been ruined and feelings have been hurt and destinies have been missed because we take this detour of it's just one time. Oh, when you start to feel this lie come into your life, it's just once. It's just once. You're on a detour. You're not where God wants you to be. It's just once. Whenever you hear the lie, oh, you're not good enough. You're right, but God is great. You're not good. God doesn't want to, oh, God is great. Don't take that detour. Don't take the detour of it's just once. Well, I've been faithful, and I've been faithful. I'll just miss this week. I'll just watch online. I'll just, it's just once. Just once. It was just once. Number two, everyone else does it. This is a weird, this is a weird thing. It's weird because the culture said what they did with Hagar was completely acceptable. In that culture, it was acceptable if you were a barren woman for you to use your, your handmaid or to use your mistress as a surrogate mom. It wasn't looked down upon. It wasn't something that was like, oh, that is so creepy and weird. Here we are 3,800 years later and we're like, that's so awkward. In fact, these are some of the chapters in the Bible when the kids are like, Dad, what's this mean? Let's go talk about Jesus. <laughs> Matthew chapter 14. Let's go look at that instead of, Dad, what does it mean, a concubine? Well, let's go look over here. Why? Because they're, they're weird passages of Scripture. Why are they in there? Because God condones them? No, God shows the folly of cultural adherence. 
because it was culturally accepted, culturally appropriate, culturally lauded as a virtuous thing for 85-year-old Abram to be with the young Egyptian girl. It was totally cool. It was good. It was acceptable. Everyone else is doing it. And just because everyone else is doing it doesn't mean it's right. Oh, we can say that with kids. If everybody else was jumping off a bridge, would you jump off too? We know that, but we live our lives taking this detour. Notice what the scripture says in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse number 9. The Bible says, you're a chosen generation. If you know Christ as your Savior this morning, say yes. If you just said yes, you're a chosen generation. Chosen. God says, I want you. You're a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation. Check it out. You're a peculiar people. There's a difference. You stand out. There is something that is not normal about you. But oftentimes, Christians, in a way, they say, I want to know what God wants me to do, but everybody else is doing it. And in that pattern of everybody else is doing it, we cause chaos, mayhem, and destruction because we're not abandoning, oh God, I'm not abandoning you. I'm just doing what everybody else is doing. And God says that you and I are a peculiar people. We, are, we have been chosen to show forth the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Oh, avoid this detour at all costs because number four, here's another one. I know it says but. Oh, this is a bad one. Because the Bible's pretty clear. Most of the Bible's black and white. Couple pages are red in there if you got the red line in the Bible, but most of it's black. This is right, this is wrong. I know the Bible says, but I always want to find that exclusion, that exception cause, that parenthetical phrase. Here's this one instance. I know the Bible says, but in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 24, the scripture says, therefore, this is the first few days of human existence and time being created. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be how many? One flesh. The God-ordained way for marriage is one man and one woman. Not one man, one woman, point five. It was never God's plan for Abram, and excuse me for being as blunt, to be having a relationship with Hagar. It was never God's plan. That whole mess is a detour that only brought problems. I know the Bible says, but. But this is for the Lord. This is what God wants us to do. God wants us to have this family. And, and how's he going to do it with Sarai? Maybe we need to scheme. Maybe we need to manufacture. We need to have a strategy session on how to build a nation. Hagar. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 4 says that marriage is honorable in all. When men and women are with each other, God says, in a marriage relationship, God says, good job. It's holy, it's honorable, it's lauded, it's praised, it's put up on the mantle, says this is good. Marriage is honorable in all, and the bed is undefiled. As holy as it is inside of marriage, the Bible tells us it is as unholy outside of marriage. But whoremongers and adulterers, God will what? Oh, wow. In a place where sexual promiscuity, promiscuance, 
bad sex behaviors. Whenever, in, in a culture where it's completely acceptable to participate in this and this and this and this, and I'm only looking at him, not touching, God says marriage is honorable in all. The bed's undefiled, but whoremongers and adulterers, God will what? Judge. Oh, you cannot say, I know God says but. I know it says but. You can't live your way. When, you, when we live that way, we're following a detour. And we're going to bring chaos. Number four, excuse me, number five. I'm tired of the struggle. I'm just so tired of this. Detour number five. You know, I've been doing this for three years. I've been doing this for six years. Sarai, and this juncture is, I've been doing this for 10 years. I'm just so tired of the struggle. It's not supposed to be this hard. Sometimes life is hard. It just is. And sometimes things don't go away, uh, the way that we think they're supposed to go. And here's a detour that Sarah takes. I'm tired of the struggle. Galatians 6.9 understands this about, the, about us, and he says, let's not be weary in well-doing. If you're doing good, don't be weary. Let me encourage you, for in due season you will reap if you faint not. Allow the work of God to continue. At that day when you feel like giving up, that time when you don't want to continue, don't take this detour. Here's the last one. Here's the blame game. The reason I'm here is because somebody else. The reason I'm here is because of this. Now, we all have issues. Nobody in here has lived a gilded life. But at the end of the day, I'm responsible for my decisions. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what have benefits I've had and what struggles I've gone through. I'm responsible for my decisions. But whenever we start to take the blame game, what's the blame game? God's not letting me do this. Abram's not letting this. We've gone to Egypt. Maybe that's what God wanted us to go down there for, the blame game. Genesis 3, 11, and 12 says um, this blame game is all over the human race. You remember when Adam sinned? Notice what Adam said. And he said, who told thee that thou wast naked? Hast thou eaten of the tree whereof I commanded thee that thou shouldest not eat? And the man said, yeah, yeah. Let me tell you how that happened, Lord. The woman that thou gavest me to be with, she gave me of the tree and I did eat. Two people. Yeah, here's, here is Adam with applesauce in his mouth. And he says to the Lord, yeah, the problem is, the, you know the woman? By the way, you gave me the woman and we're going to hold me responsible for this? Yes, Adam, you're responsible. You don't get to play the blame game. You're responsible, you're responsible, you're responsible, I'm responsible. When we play the blame game and it excuses a detour, that's not where we live. If you're living there, you're going down a path that was never intended. How do we avoid detours? This is how we avoid detours. We follow the navigator. Have you ever noticed that your Apple phone or your Samsung, if you use that, is like right all the time? You put in a destination, you will arrive at 7.57 p.m. Yeah, no, I'm not, what do you know, it's 7.57 p.m. It's almost like it's intuitive and it knows what's happening. But I, I have almost always in the last few years said, I've, the phone says to go here, I'm going to go where the phone says to go. And there have been times where like, I know a better way. Oh, I didn't know there was construction down the street. <laughs> have you been there? 
because I'm not following the navigator. Have you ever been in a place where you, you're unfamiliar? I was in Honduras, and when I was with my friend Matt in Honduras, he, I let him drive the entire time. You want to know why? Because I was in Honduras. <laughs> He's been there before. He picked where I was going to stay. He picked the car. Every place we ate, he said, is there anything? You Whatever you say, Matt. Whatever you, where do you want to eat? Whatever you say. I just do not want to get an amoeba. <laughs> no amoebas. Whatever that, wherever you don't get amoebas, I don't want. We were at a, a church fellowship, and after the church fellowship, they had little chicken sandwiches. And a couple of the senior guys were like, ooh, we are senior guys. I was with a group of about eight teenagers. We are senior guys. We are invulnerable. We are American gladiators. Okay. So Matt said, they're going to have food afterwards. I wouldn't eat any of it if I were you. That was on Saturday night. He said, I'm not going to eat anything. I wouldn't eat any of it. And so because Matt said, don't eat, don't eat the chicken sandwiches, I didn't have a chicken sandwich. But the senior guys, I will have chicken sandwich. Chicken sandwich is good. About four in the morning, I got a phone call from the three senior guys. Pastor Matt, what's wrong? We feel so sick. And for the next eight hours, all they did was rehearse their chicken sandwiches over and over again. You didn't follow the navigator. They weren't following the navigator because Matt knew, don't eat these chicken sandwiches, okay? God's given you several things. He's given you his word. He's given you a church. He's given you companions, brothers or sisters in Christ. He's given you so many. He's given the Holy Spirit. So he's given you counsel. He's given you comforter. He's given you companions. He's given you his church. You can follow the navigator, but the temptation of life is to, I'm going to take a little detour here. The Bible tells us this. Look at verse number seven. And the angel of the Lord found her, Hagar, because Hagar runs away from home. And he said to her, Hagar, Sarah's handmaid, whence comest thou? And whither wilt thou go? And she said, I flee from the face of my mistress, Sarai. And the angel of the Lord said unto her, Return to thy mistress and submit thyself unto her hand. And the angel of the Lord said unto her, I will multiply thy seed exceedingly, and thou shalt not be numbered for a multitude. And the angel of the Lord said unto her, Behold, thou art with child, and shalt bear a son, and shalt call his name Ishmael, because the Lord hath heard thy affliction. He'll be a wild man. And the hand will be against every man, and every man's hand against him. And he shall dwell in the presence of all his brethren. And she called the name of the Lord that spake unto her, Thou God seest me. For she said, I have also here looked after him that seeth me. Wherefore, the well was called Ber Leharoi. Behold, it is between Kadesh and Barid. And Hagar, verse 15, bare Abram's son. And Abram called his son's name, which Hagar bare, Ishmael. Okay. As the story continues, Hagar has a baby. She runs away. She's about to run. She's in her pregnancy. She runs away, and she's all alone, and she meets with the angel of the Lord. The angel of the Lord says to her, I want you to go back, do whatever Sarai says to do, but I will take care of you. I will bless you. Your son will be okay, and I will provide for you. Now, this is what's so beautiful about this passage. God hears her. Look at Genesis 16, verse 11. The Bible says, And the angel of the Lord said unto her, Behold, thou art with child, and shalt bear a son, and shalt call his name 
Ishmael, because the Lord hath heard thy affliction. When you're in trouble, God hears. The other day, a friend of mine uh, texted me and texted my dad and said, hey, pray for me. I've got this situation going on in my life. And then he was in my office a few days later. He said, I text you, but I always text your dad when I need a prayer request because I feel like he has the red phone, the bat phone, directly into heaven, right? <laughs> Commissioner Gordon can get Batman anytime and, and your dad can get God anytime. And I get that. And, and the reason God answers my dad's prayers is because my dad prays. <laughs> the, Bible says, uh, the Bible says, you have not because you ask not. So one of the reasons you don't, and I don't see prayers answered as often as we should is because we don't ask like we should. The Bible says pray without ceasing. And when he said that, I understand we joked a little bit about it, but there is, there's a truth that we should all understand, that if you have Jesus Christ as your Savior, God knows your name. When your name comes up on the call waiting prayer list, you don't get sent to voicemail, God hears you. There's no, there's no superiority in this heavenly thing. There's no, oh, this is Samson. Samson, he's been saved 10 years. <laughs> but Mike's been saved 30. Oh, which one do I care for? <laughs> See you, Sam. Let me finish with Mike. It's not the way it happens. There's, there's an equality there. Here's Hagar, an Egyptian handmaid, and God hears her. If God hears her, God hears you. The Bible says in the book of Hebrews, let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. God hears your prayer. God hears your prayers. Let me just say it again. God hears your prayers. God, I'm just so tired. God, I'm so emotional. God, I've got this frustration. I'm thinking of doing this. God hears your prayers. Number two, God sees. Look at the scripture in verse number 13. And she called the name of the Lord that spake unto her, Thou God seest me, for she said, Have I also here looked after him that seeth me? You know why we didn't spend last night around a radio uh, listening to Amos and Andy? Or the war of the worlds because we have TVs and TVs better than radio now you can fight and argue with it but the data is there it proves it's true because we get our inner because seeing is better than just hearing check it out God just doesn't hear you with a staticky little prayer is it going to get through and I get having a hard time hearing the reception's bad he doesn't hear he sees we have a little tradition and Brianna started it with our daughter who's in college Brianna said to Ashlyn I want to see what you're wearing every day because I miss you and so usually every morning about six o'clock in the morning we get a, a text of what Ashlyn's outfit is for the day and here's Ashlyn saying, going to class. And she's so cute. Why? Because we like to see her. She calls every once in a while, but FaceTime's a whole lot better. It, it's, it's cool to hear, oh, but it's better to see. God does not just hear you. God sees you. But you know what's better than hearing? You know what's better than seeing it's whenever you get to be with somebody. On Wednesday night, I'm going to fly to Florida, and at 8.30 in the morning, my daughter's going to pick me up from the airport. 
And it's going to be awesome because I won't just hear her. I won't just see her. I will be with her. The Bible tells us this, that God not only sees, God not only hears, he is there. The Bible says in Genesis chapter 16 and verse number 10, the angel of the Lord. The word the angel of the Lord is used multiple times. The angel of the Lord is oftentimes in reference to an angel of the Lord. But there are several times in Scripture, do you want to have a theological word that you can impress your friends with? This theological word that you can impress your friends with, not worth, you can impress your friends with is the word theophany. Say it with me because it's just fun to say. Theophany. One more time. Theophany. The word theophany means an Old Testament appearance of Jesus Christ. So there's a story in the Bible where, where the Lord wrestled with Jacob all night long. That is a theophany. In the book of Joshua, the angel of the Lord, it's a reference to Jesus, appears to Joshua and gives him instructions for tearing down Jericho. That is a theophany. It's Jesus Christ in the Old Testament appearing in incarnate flesh. Here is a theophany. God Almighty appearing in the flesh to Hagar. The Bible says, and the angel of the Lord said unto her, I will multiply thy seed exceedingly, that it shall not be numbered for multitude. Does an angel have the ability to do that? Only God can do that. God not only sees you, God not only hears you, God is with you on this journey. So what is my obligation? Don't take a detour. Follow the navigator. When you feel like taking a shortcut, we feel like going on this, uh, this, this route, we feel like, oh, I, I know better, or these six reasons, oh, don't take a detour. Follow the navigator. Father, thank you for your word and the time together today. I pray that you would use it, encourage your people, and challenge us to live in a way that would honor you. And I ask this in Jesus' name. We hope that message was an encouragement to your heart. Now for weekly updates and for information about Liberty Baptist Church, be sure to follow us on Twitter and like us on Facebook at LBC of Las Vegas. Well, that's it for today. Thanks again for listening. Until next time, God bless.